Welcome, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Matthews Podcast, a podcast highlighting commercial real estate news, topics, and trends from top professionals in the industry. I'm your host, Matt Wallace. I've been in the commercial real estate industry for 10 plus years now, executing on over a billion dollars in transactions, mostly on retail properties on the eastern half of the country. I now serve as market leader at Matthews, uh, sharing my skills and supporting workplace expansion, development, and management to help the Matthews brand grow into new markets. Today, we're joined by two fellow market leaders, David Treadwell and Kurt Sauer. Thanks guys for being here. David is the market leader in Denver, Colorado. He brings over 14 years of experience in commercial real estate and capital markets, completing more than $1 billion in transactional volume since 2010. Kurt serves as the Minneapolis market leader. Prior to joining Matthews, Kurt established his career as a top Midwest broker. And unbeknownst to many, they both played professionally prior to entering the commercial real estate world. In this episode, we speak to why athletes fit well into brokerage, starting and growing a new office at Matthews and what that entails, and the mentality and motivation required to be successful in commercial real estate. So please join me in welcoming David and Kurt to the podcast. Let's dive in. Hey, thanks for having us on, Matt. Excited for a while. All right. So I think I'd like to start the podcast by having both of you share your story and let's dive into your athletic careers at the start. So you both played professional athletics, dated football, Kurt in the NHL. Prior to your careers in real estate, how did you get started in your professional careers? Or what was your story to, to launch your professional careers? David, let's start with you. Well, for me, it was a rather circuitous route to commercial real estate. As a place kicker in the NFL, your job is uh, week to week. There aren't too many guarantees of how long you're going to be around. So for me, I was blessed to have the opportunity to even be able to play at the NFL level. Cinderella slipper fit, and I got the opportunity to play here in Denver for the Broncos and finished up my career with the New York Giants. But all the time in the back of my mind, I was a, a, an engineer undergrad, and I felt like I needed to have something else. I, I needed to have another level of education because at some point I knew they were going to pull the rug out for me. There, uh, Not everybody gets to be John Elway or Peyton Manning and decide when you want to retire. Most of the times the teams decide for you when it's time for you to retire. So I was trying to get ahead of it. I imagine that the, the kickers are also a little more volatile in their career contracts and things like that. Well, yeah, because if you think about it, there's only 32 teams in the NFL and second string is on the couch because there's only one kicker per team. And so yeah. it's not like they're keeping two or three guys on the roster at any one time. So, I went back to school at night while I was playing and I started pursuing a law degree and went to law school here at DU, University of Denver. While I was in New York playing for the Giants, I took a few classes over at Seton Hall Law School down in Newark, New Jersey. So I graduated from law school, but I knew I didn't want to be a litigator. So I migrated toward a law firm where I could learn how to do transactional work, real estate related work. I went to work for an attorney that did a lot of entitlement work for our big grocer here in Colorado was King Supers, owned by Kroger. Did a lot of entitlement work for McDonald's, Amico gas stations and convenience stores. So I learned the land entitlement, land development side. From that, that an interest grew in more of the deal side and uh, made that switch into actually the, the brokerage side and working on commercial real estate deals 
probably around, I think it was around 2004, going to work for a land developer and learning that side of the business. But when the great financial crisis hit, I quickly learned that land was the first to go, meaning the first to really take a nosedive and the last to come back. So I decided to follow the money. Where's the money? Money is in the income producing properties. And that's how I ended up over doing debt and capital markets at, at Johnson Capital. And then just kind of worked my way up where I had a career at not only Johnson Capital, CBRE, Newmark, and thrilled to be here at Matthews now. Nice. Nice. All right, Kurt, why don't you give us your story growing up in Minnesota? Correct? Yeah. So we grew up in central Minnesota. There actually wasn't, obviously we're in the state of hockey, but I would say our area is more well-known for, especially when I was growing up for football, baseball, basketball, those type of sports. And when we were growing up, we actually were competitive swimming. And how we got into hockey is our swimming coach, uh, me and my brother, sister, we were good. And he said, you know, if you're good at swimming in Minnesota, you know, you, you could be average for the U.S. But if you're good at hockey in Minnesota... You'll be actually one of the better ones. My dad looked at it and went to the Harvard slash sports store, got us started in hockey. And that's kind of how me and my brothers all got started playing hockey and kind of on that route. And how I found my way to the pros is I played in a junior league called the USHL for a year. And my brother, who was a, he played, had some time in the NFL, played five years in the NFL. He said, Kurt, if you're going to go to college and you're going to do what you want to do, which at that time I was thinking maybe anesthesiologist, right? Like, it's going to be tough go to play hockey, a D1 sport, and go pre-med. But, you know, so I looked at it that way. And also, I had an opportunity to go play major junior hockey where you get, each year you play, get room and, like, call it tuition and books. Each year you play out there. And then I was like, well, I'll go see if I'm any good. And lo and behold, I got to play a little longer, and somebody thought I was good. And I made my way to Anaheim, played from Spokane Chiefs, played in Anaheim, Colorado, and Phoenix. Had some great years, a lot of fun, bet on the top of the heat, the bottom of the heat, meaning I've been seventh man watching from the sidelines um, all the way to starting most of the games and being a number one, two defenseman. So I kind of ran the gamut, which is a little bit odd, but at the same time, you know, it's something that I love to do. And then wrapping up, basically, I always knew we were going to find our way back to Minnesota. And so after the hockey career, we had a large family. We we're going to come back to Minnesota and get started. And when I came back, commercial real estate was always something of interest. And so lo and behold, my old USHL hockey coach actually was a broker and a successful broker in Minnesota. So I gave him a call, asked him, you know, how do you get in the business? And he gave me a couple names, told me to cold call him. And all of a sudden I was working in commercial real estate. I'd come and it you know what? It was a great time. A lot of what I found is when I got into commercial real estate, a lot of good people, a lot of good brokers. What do you, what do you guys think that you have taken from your professional careers and applied to brokerage? What has been the most valuable skill, soft skill, technical skill, whatever it is? What has helped you the most and what have you leaned on that you've learned from your athletic career to help you succeed in brokerage? You know, so... When you, when you say that, where I go to is actually just the competitive nature of brokerage and NHL. When you make a mistake in the NHL, you get called on it. Not only do you get called on it, but if you do it again, you likely don't have a spot. In brokerage, it's, you know, if you make a mistake, you lose the whole deal. 
it's feast or famine and it's competitive. It's not like you're not competing every each and every day to find the lead, to find the next deal, just like every day in practice. You know, people, I think outside the professional world and maybe even outside commercial real estate, don't realize how you compete each and every day. I don't care if it's practice or game day, you're fighting for a spot. And that's what I had to do with my, you know, like I said, I was seventh defenseman all the way up. So you just keep fighting for a spot to be successful to find the next deal. You know, you're just looking for that next deal each and every day, just like in pro sports. You know, when I was in the NHL, you're literally fighting to be part of the next practice. I agree with the, I, I agree with the competition factor for sure. I'll give you two more. Teamwork. I think you'll hear a lot of athletes when they leave the game, what do they miss most? They miss the locker room. They miss the camaraderie. They miss the being around the team, the guys. And in commercial real estate, it's one of the most collaborative businesses. And when it's collaborative, it's the most effective. Just being in the office, sharing ideas, bouncing ideas off one another, bringing people in. You have different skill levels, different property types. So I think I really enjoyed the teamwork. The other element that I think really helped prepare me for commercial real estate is the overcoming adversity because so much in sports, you, you see a lot of the highs in sports, but there's a lot of lows in sports too. And you got to learn how to cope real quick or you get washed out in, in whatever sport you're playing. So I, I think, although... I think the adversity to some degree or the rate of failure is much higher in commercial real estate than it is in sports. I, I know from a, just a field goal kicking perspective that my number in my head every time I went out on the field is, or for an, an annual percentage is I felt like I had to make 80% of my kicks just to keep my job. And uh, nowadays guys are making 85%, sometimes 90% to be the best in the NFL. So it's just gotten progressively better. Whereas in commercial real estate, you know, we're lucky if sometimes we're landing one out of a hundred. So there's a lot higher failure rate in real estate. So I think that is a big one. Just learning how to let some of the rejection and the adversity just roll off your back, go get the next one. So it's a good entree into our next topic, but I want to give you guys a a warning, a heads up. I am going to ask for one story from you before we wrap this up that just totally related to sports that you can tell us. So that'll be at the end. But now that we started talking about some of the skills that you got that helped you guys transition into commercial real estate, what are you looking for when you guys are building out your offices in Denver and in Minneapolis? When you're talking to either a young agent who's coming in and has never done a deal right out of college or a experienced agent who's, you know, 15 years in the business, what are you looking for to, to make sure that that's a good fit to, for your office? For me here in Denver, and it's probably similar across the board in Matthews, I'm always looking for that upbeat person, that positive personality somebody that can be engaging, somebody that can fit well in the in the locker room, in the office, the teamwork, atmosphere. And then I want to see that spark. I want to see that that drive, that ambition to want to be, to need to be successful. So, and it's, it doesn't always jump off the page on a resume. For me, it's a lot of times we do a lot of teams interviews, but at the end of the day, if there's any way possible, I like to go out, have a cup of coffee, grab lunch. I like to meet them face-to-face and shake their hand. 
and it's just it kind of goes to an instinct but those are some of the elements that i'm looking for when i'm recruiting young brokers and even senior brokers i'm not just looking for them based on their success i want to see how they're going to fit into the fabric of what we're building at Matthews. Yeah, the team, the team aspect is important and, and culture is key on that front. Uh, Kurt, what about you? What are you looking for up in Minneapolis? Yeah, when I'm interviewing, when I'm looking for, at a new prospect, basically, I want them to lean in. When I, when I tell them how hard we work, when I tell them about the job, I want them to get closer and closer. I want them to lean in. I want them to almost look like they're challenging me a little bit rather than getting wide eye and set back because Basically, the first couple of times, you know, when I tell them how hard this job is and how hard it is to break into a business such as this, I want them to lean in. I want them to know what they're getting into, to hit them, hit it face, you know, face on, right? Head on. So that's, that's really the first couple of times when I, when I, first time I meet the first couple of questions, I go right into how hard we work, how the person working next to you is going to expect you to work as hard as they are. And that culture and if they, like I said, I, I think there's times where I scare people out of this business from that, but I don't see there's any way, other way to do it other than. No, I, I'm with you on that. I, I try to scare people out of the business, right? You know, because <laughs> what you just mentioned it, you know, the guy sitting next to you, right? Like you want to be working, you know, harder than him and you want him to be pushing you, him or her to be pushing you and, you know, vice versa. So like, and that, that's what builds a, a real culture, a real winning culture. Right. And it's, so, and it's a, yeah. And it's a fabulous career, right? Like if, if everybody could do or make it in commercial real estate, I think they would. There's a lot of rewards, a lot of freedom that's in this career that most people don't even know. about. You know, it's interesting actually, coming in, this is the first place that actually isn't as secretive on what it takes to be a great broker. I, you know, in the other places, you kind of learn the hard way. You learn through your mistakes. You learn listening to other people. It's almost, you're finding other ways where here, the training, I look at it and I'm like, man, give me one chapter. And I feel like life gets a lot quicker. It's pretty yeah. amazing. What do you mean? Yeah. So that's, that's a great point too. Like when, when you were starting off early on in your career, was there something that you wish that you had known that you had learned the hard way, like you said, that would have accelerated your career and development? Well, I, I actually just appreciate the cold calling steps, not struggling through because, you know, you work so hard just to get a connect, just to get a connect. You go through your research, you go through your cold calls and you get a connect and just to understand where that's supposed, you know, where that process and how hard it is to get there and how valuable that connect is. And to be ready for it, it was, I look at it the way I started wasn't pro, you know, I wouldn't tell anybody to do it that way. It doesn't mean I didn't learn from it. It just means when you're given a phone, there's two ways to go about it, right? Give a person a phone and then the strong survive, or you just give them a little more, teach them to fish, whatever you want to say. So I guess that the biggest thing that I see is our cold calling, our training, talking about the interest generators. Plain and simple, doing the calls to connects, having, keeping stats, doing the ratios. I didn't get that per se when I was going through it. So I look at it and I'm like, the value of that and taking that million dollar schedule and having it by half hours, I just look at it as, you know, I'm an athlete. I, I'll be straight. When I was in the NHL, they told us what to do, where to go, how to do it, when to do it. And that's how I performed. 
right? I was given clear expectations. And I think Matthews does that very well for new people coming in. Yeah, and I think that that that's certainly coming from the, the athletic background for, for both of you, the the discipline to execute, you know, to wake up at 5 a.m., work out before class, come back, you know, lift, you know, go to practice, do your homework, you know, in bed, lights out of 10 and do it all again over and over. You know, it's pretty similar to what we do over here and what we're preaching over here. So it's not not surprising that athletes are successful in this model. David, what, what do you think? What are some strategies that, you know, in your career and as you're training new agents, you can share on, on business development and how to build a Rolodex and a client base in this industry? Well, I was just talking about it. We were just teaching a lesson for one of our Matthews University classes and an area that I was not taught. It's ironic that I work in it now in the capital market side. But I never really was taught how to underwrite a deal, how to model a deal, and understand the value of a deal. It was just kind of, I had to learn by osmosis, school of hard knocks. So I try to encourage all of these young folks coming into the business, whether you're working on the capital market side, whether you're a sales agent person, learn how to model your deals, understand the numbers. No, you don't have to know it as well as our whole financial analyst team, they're there to support you, but you need starting out to understand the value of the deal you're working with because you talked about interest generators and credibility generators. If you're as knowledgeable or more knowledgeable than your seller, then you can develop that credibility and that trust with them that they trust you to sell their property because they're like, wow, this broker knows as much or more than I do. So I really try to teach them to understand the numbers first, and then you can understand the deal. Don't just gloss over it and say, oh, I wasn't a finance major. I was only a marketing major. Take the time to learn it. It's not that difficult. It looks a little intimidating on the front end, but if you can really learn that side of the business, it'll make you such an effective broker out there in the marketplace. Absolutely. Well, transitioning into the marketplace now, no secret that the last six months and you know maybe eight to 12 months has been a bit rocky for transactions volumes. Do you have any advice for people looking to get into brokerage at this point in the market cycle? I think it's a great time to get in, primarily because it is a tough market and a lot of the senior brokers out there have maybe kind of hit the snooze button and they realize it's gonna be some tough times. And it, whether you're a senior broker or whether you're a, a young broker, associate in training, this is when you double down on your relationships, really develop those bonds. And because even if they're not transacting, the better you get to know them, that then when that market starts to kind of come out of this valley that it's in, you've been developing that relationship and that bond with that seller while maybe some other more senior brokers at other firms have been asleep at the wheel and you can grab some market share. So look at it from the standpoint, if you're a young broker coming into business, it's gonna take you a couple years to get transaction or get traction in the business anyway. So why not do it during a slower time and really work on your skills, your cold calling skills, your relationship building skills, so that when we do come out of the market, you're ready to take advantage of it. So. I, I think it's a great time to get in. I learned in the during the great financial crisis going through that where we were doing just a handful of deals a year. We were lucky 
it was hard. There were a lot of times you're just questioning going, man, am I going to be able to stay the course? I like to think that this isn't as bad because there's still liquidity in the market, but the debt is driving these deals. Whether the debt works or not is usually a function of whether this deal trades or not because there's not a lot of cash deals out there. So debt is a big driver for it. So that's part of understanding the modeling, understanding the financing side of it. Kurt, any any advice for people looking to get in here? Yeah, you know, we all know Matt Fitzgerald and Matthews, and he calls it, everybody's going to have a first year. Everybody's going to have a first year. It's the first year you're not going to make much money. You're getting your business going. You're building your relationships. It's going to be tough. So having it in the down year makes a lot of sense. You know, like what I compared to my career in the NHL, if I would have known what, that first year in the NHL for me was like, I'm sure I, w- I know I would have enjoyed it more. And people are like, well, what happened the first year? Well, I played in 80 games, missed two for our first child. And we went to game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. I was a rookie. I played, I don't know what it was, 110 games, something like that I dressed for. I dressed, I think I missed one preseason game, two regular season games. And then we went all the way to the cup finals and lost in game seven. Jeez. And it's, if I would have remembered to enjoy that, I didn't know. I remember coming back from the plane just pissed. I couldn't even enjoy how great a year it was because I was young. Because you were just grinding. You didn't even know you are just trying to survive, right? And I look at this first year coming in. You're going to gain your relationships. You're going to gain traction. You're going to gain skill sets. You may not have them come out with the deals, but the work ethic in this when you put in this year, you'll see how that upswing gets the, you know, right enough. Cause everybody's going to go through a recession. Like you can call it a recession. You call it down years. Everybody's going to go through that in their careers. And having it as the first year I look at it is like, if I wasn't going to enjoy one year, like I look at my Stanley cup, I wish I was my fifth year, sixth year, where I actually could appreciate all the hard work that went into that. So I look at it, they're going to start at a great time. And when they hit that great year, they're going to enjoy it all that much more. Yeah, may as well get it out of the way, right? <laughs> get, right. get ready for the gold rush. All right, so so as promised, Treadwell, I'm going to call on you first here. We need we need one great story from your professional career. I've always got funny stories too, where you know coaches degrade kickers. So I'll tell that first, just kind of as a side. I played for Coach Danny Ford at Clemson, and he was a good old boy from Alabama played under Bear Bryant, coached under Bear Bryant, got the head coaching job as a, like a 35-year-old at Clemson. And I walked on at Clemson. And I was just a scrawny, you know, 6'2", 165-pound kid walking on. And I can remember our first day, we always had to go through like this gauntlet of the monkey bars before we went on to the practice field. And I can remember you, you guys will know this name. I think most people will William, the refrigerator Perry. Oh yeah. He's a great nose tackle for us at Clemson went on to his glory days for the Chicago bears and, and played on that 85 championship team for the bears. Well, he and his fellow bruise brothers on our wonderful defensive line. I can remember going through the monkey bars first time and William Perry grabbing me and stopping me and kind of, squeezing my arms and my bicep, looked at me, and he said, must be a damn kicker. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I was about to pee my pants. So I thought I was going to be run over by a 300 pound defensive tackle the first day I walk on at Camp City. So, but and, and that, future NFL Hall of Famer, right? Right, right. That was just a, a, a great kind of camaraderie and culture we had there at Clemson. So it was all for fun, but that was uh, some of those traumatic memories stick out. A great story. It's still in college back in Clemson. One of our big rivals, University of Georgia, Athens, Georgia, is 90 minutes from Clemson. Back in the day, 80s and 90s, we played them every year before we got into this big conference deal where they don't hardly have time to play each other, but like a home and away every 10 years or something ridiculous like that. They should be playing every year. But we had some of the best robberies, some of the best games, and it was just a dogfight every time we played them. And I can remember going down there in 1985 and we were in Athens and I was in street clothes because I still, I, I wasn't playing yet. So, but I got to travel, but I didn't dress. So I'm standing there on the sidelines in jeans. It's a back and forth game. And Kevin Butler, who also went on to play for the Chicago Bears, kicked for them for a long time, kicks a last second field goal for Georgia to beat Clemson. Two years later, no, that was 84. Two years later, we're back there in 86. I'm the starting kicker this time. I'm a, a red shirt sophomore. And it was all of, I think, one of my, no, I was a red shirt junior. And it was a back and forth game, 28-28. We got the ball, we're driving, we get down there and we get the ball to the 30 yard line, which is a 46, 47 yard field goal. Four seconds left on the clock. Coach Ford calls me over. He looks at me, puts his hands on both my shoulder pads. He looks at me straight in the eye and he goes, you're going to make it? And I said, <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'm going to make it. And in retrospect, that's the best thing he could have said to me because it actually yeah. fired me up. So I went out on the field and we're in hostile territory. It's as loud as it can be. But I just had this amazing knack of being able to block everything out. And I lined up and knocked it through. And you could hear a pin drop in that stadium after that. We after shut that. them completely down. It was a gigantic celebration right there in Athens. We tore down the hedges, I think, storming the field and chasing each other all over it. So that's one of my favorite memories, not part of the pros. In the pros, you're expected to do that in college. It's still love of the game. So that, yeah. that's one of my great memories. I love that. All right, all right Kurt, tough act to follow. What do you got? <laughs> you know what? Very tough act. Very tough act. You know, for me, I always, I always enjoyed playing against the best and also seeing their brilliance. And by seeing their brilliance, you actually went back to the drawing board and you had to fix it. So I always tell people, you know, like even now I played in the game of hooking and holding, then the lockout happened. So I played without hooking and holding. I always kind of played in both games. People say, has hockey changed? You know, it's way different. And I'm like, there is some differences, but I always ask them, Sidney Crosby still good? And usually they say, yeah, yeah, no, he's still good. I'm like, yeah, he was good when I played too. And then there's a story. <laughs> so I was playing Sidney Sydney Crosby. We we're in Colorado and, you know, we're playing in, Literally, I still remember this goal. There, the guy from the corner puts it up the set. He's kind of top of the circles, a little bit towards the boards outside the top of the circles, and he shoots, and it goes over our goalie's left shoulder. And I had a guy in front, and I was like, that was just confusing to me. 
and me and the goalie look at each other and literally I look at him and he shrugs his shoulder at me, puts his arms up and I'm like, yeah, me too. Cause we both saw the same thing. That thing was going eight feet on the other direction. The way that puck came off Sidney Crosby's stick was amazing. Like we thought it, I was, I thought it was going short side. I thought it was going on the other side and it goes literally left about six feet. And I'm like, just brilliant. Like that one was brilliant. Anyways, papers read, Cindy Crosby two, abs three, abs win. That's what it was that game. So it wasn't a great game for Kurt Sauer, but <laughs> it was a game. And I, I, and then my favorite, my favorite, and basically what made me an NHL hockey defenseman was I played against the, I was in Anaheim and I was playing this gentleman named Joe Thorpe. Jumbo Joe, they call him. And Jumbo Joe literally carried me around his rear end and fed Marlow and any, did anything he wanted the whole game. I've never seen such a big rear end. They would like hit me right in the chest. You know, I'm six foot four, <laughs> just hitting me in the chest. And we get done with the game. And we get done with the game. And I'm sitting in the locker room and I'm just, I'm like, what could I do? Because that's what I used to do. After mistakes, I would go back and I basically wouldn't stop thinking about what I did wrong until I replaced it with something that I thought would do right. And I'd replace that memory with the wrong memory with the new way I was going to do it and the way I'd go. And I remember sitting in the room, and all of a sudden the coach comes in. His name was Mike Babcock, and he did his feel. And then all of a sudden he goes, it was a man, man against boy. And he scans the locker room, and all of a sudden he locks eyes with me. <laughs> Correct, coach. Correct. So then the next time I played him, I'm like, that's it. All I felt his whole, the whole game was his rear end. That's all I felt. That's all I felt. So what did I do? I'm like, I'm not going to touch that thing all game long. And I'm a big physical defenseman, right? I'm supposed to be big physical, you know, that. Well, long story short, short Joe's heavier than me and bigger than me. So, long, so I go and I get up to Joe and I hide right behind his rear end. And all <laughs> of a sudden, he turns and looks for me and I dive in. His rear end was literally another set of eyes. If I touched his rear end, he knew where my stick was, knew where my body was, knew where everything. Now he could get rear put his eyes up and find anybody behind him. And right there, I used that against everybody in my career. And for some reason, it worked. Brilliant. That, that's, that is, that's awesome. That's what made my career is Joe Thornton carrying me around, Babcock looking at me in the eyes and men against boys and figuring that out. I love that. That's a great story. That's a great story. All right, guys. Well, listen, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to to dive into, you know, your careers, your entry into commercial real estate, a glimpse into uh, the Matthews mindset, and then, you know, a couple couple great stories to, for the listeners to take home. So, you know, thank you guys for joining us again today. Really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, thank you for taking the time and be sure to tune in next time.